Before we begin, if you want to join our growing group of supporters and give $5, 10 or $20 a month to help make the show even better, you can sign up to the Harder Reports Patreon right now and get exclusive access to full unedited interviews with guests. That's the Harder Reports Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Harder Report. And now, today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Glenn Kirshner, a former federal prosecutor who served in the US Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia for 24 years, a legal analyst for NBC and MSNBC and the host of Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner. Glenn Kirshner, thank you for joining me. Uh, happy to be with you, Edward. As I mentioned in that introduction there, you served as a federal prosecutor. You have over 30 years of trial experience. And there's been a lot of talk over the last few years of this assault law enforcement has come under during Trump's presidency, particularly the FBI. We saw obviously fired James Comey, his own attorney general in the Justice Department, William Barr, who's been accused of doing his bidding for him. Um, furthering his political agenda there, sort of corrupting the justice system. To what extent do you think all of this has hurt America's legal institutions? And, and how do we begin to repair that damage? You know, I think it has damaged um, our institutions, especially the Department of Justice. Um, I don't think it has damaged it irreparably, but it's very close. And I do believe that another four years of the tandem combination of Donald Trump and Bill Barr would literally, not, not hyperbolically, but literally have led to the potential end of our republic because of how they were so, and they are so lawless. What has surprised me, I served under every president from Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump. Um, I started as an army JAG prosecutor in the 80s and then moved over to the Department of Justice. And as you said, I did nearly a quarter of a century as a federal prosecutor at the Department of Justice. I have never seen the Department of Justice politicized, um, really at all, never mind the way Bill Barr has politicized it. Um, and, and it's beyond politics. It's beyond you know, Republicans versus Democrats. It really is that he used his position as the top law enforcement officer of the United States, the attorney general, to do Donald Trump's, not his political bidding, this wasn't about ideology, it really was his criminal bidding, his nefarious bidding, his using the levers of government to punish Donald Trump's perceived enemies and inappropriately, unlawfully reward not just Donald Trump's friends and associates, but his criminal associates, his co-conspirators, his aiders and abettors and enablers. That is something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. Um, and yet that is where Bill Barr has taken the Department of Justice. Here's the good news. I'm a silver lining kind of guy. And yes, Donald Trump has been this enormous black cloud hanging over the United States for four years. But 
there's a little bit of a silver lining. The Department of Justice is made up of about 115,000 employees. Many of them, not many of them, a fair number of them, my friends, my former colleagues, they're still there every day doing the hard work of the people of the United States. 99% of those people continue to keep their heads down, work their cases every day honorably, ethically, apolitically, and without regard to the reality that the Department of Justice is being run by a corrupt attorney general. These people are still doing the hard work on behalf of the people of the United States, and they're doing it exactly the way we want them to do it. So that's why I say Bill Barr has done a lot of damage, but we're going to be able to clear the rot at the top out of the Department of Justice, and we're going to continue to chug along the way we did for my 30 years as a federal prosecutor. Do you think there's some way, and if there's not, should there be some way, that positions like FBI director and attorney general can't just be fired or appointed by the president at will? They are there as figures in the justice system, in the legal system, to actually obey the law, follow the letter of the law, rather than be political appointees? I think it's something we should explore. As I'm sure you know, our federal judges, once they are confirmed, they have life tenure. They can't be fired by Donald Trump or any president, though you know, we've heard Donald Trump rail against judges or justices who decide cases in ways he doesn't like. So the, the, the judiciary, that separate co-equal branch of government, they enjoy some immunity courtesy of their life tenure. I don't think there's any reason we can't explore that. It becomes a challenge, though, under our system of government because the FBI director, for example, the attorney general, these are executive branch officials. So it's, it's difficult to say on the one hand, they are part of the executive branch headed up by the, by the president, and yet we're going to try to remove them from accountability to the president or being fired by the president. What I think we might be able to do striking a middle ground is return to an independent counsel approach where we do have an independent counsel and an office that is pulled out from under the executive branch so they can fully, fairly, and without political interference investigate crime in the executive branch, investigate crime in the legislative branch, and they enjoy independence and immunity. With the Supreme Court, there's been talk of how the Republican Party packed the Supreme Court and federal courts across the country with Republican-leaning judges. Mm -hmm. These are people with, as you mentioned, lifetime appointments. And while they haven't always ruled in favor of Donald Trump or the Republican Party, they're more likely to support those political agendas. Some proposed that Democrats should respond by packing courts with liberal justices. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any merit to that argument, not necessarily to pack the courts in favour of the liberal side, but in order to make it a more balanced cause? And if there is some merit in there, is there a way to make, again, similar to the FBI director, the attorney general, make the judicial process apolitical so these judges, these courts have to be balanced. They can't swing one way or the other, because surely that's in the interest of Americans to have a court that 
is balanced, is considering the case, not politically motivated. Yeah, so to answer the last question first, there is no way to um, ensure that you know, centrist, middle of the road, apolitical people are appointed uh, as federal court judges because it's an inherently political process. The president is going to be a partisan, whether Republican or Democrat, he or she, hopefully someday we will have a president who's a she, will get to nominate people to the bench who generally share their worldviews, their political views, and their judicial philosophies to, to a greater or lesser extent. So you can't take the politics out of judicial appointments. Here's what you can do. There's a three-part plan that I have that some friends of mine and I have been working on that will help fix the judiciary because we need to fix what Mitch McConnell broke and what Donald Trump broke. They've soiled the quality of the federal judiciary and we need to fix it. And we actually can do it. The first part is that the, the, the judges who were rated as not qualified by the American Bar Association, now that happened under President Obama's tenure. And when the ABA rated a potential judicial nominee not qualified, President Obama withdrew that nomination because that's the right way to govern. Mitch McConnell, to the contrary, has sought out not qualified radical right-wing ideologues and crammed them down America's throats in party-line partisan votes. Um, the first thing we do is we have the FBI do what the FBI should have been doing in the first instance, but was prohibited from doing by the White House, fully investigate each of those not qualified judges. Most importantly, review their confirmation testimony, find the lies. We saw Judge Kavanaugh lie to become Justice Kavanaugh. Those lies were in plain sight, easy to prove that they were lies. And if you can prove somebody lied in their confirmation hearing, you can charge them, you can impeach them, and you can remove them from the bench. That's part one. That has to be done because you know Bill Barr wouldn't enforce the law. Joe Biden and the attorney general that he appoints needs to, to enforce the law. Um, the second thing is we don't pack the courts, but what we do is we increase the number of federal court judges and we increase the number of Supreme Court justices. That's actually not only a win-win, but it's long overdue because the caseloads in the federal courts have risen over the years and the judges have been screaming for additional judges and more resources. Let's give it to them. Let's give them qualified judges. Let's give them centrist judges. That will have the effect of neutralizing the right-wing ideologue judges because you're kind of evening the playing field overall. And then the, th oh, and by the way, nine is not a magic number, right? Nine justices on the Supreme Court has been the recent tradition. But over the history of our country, we've had as few as five. We've, we've had as ma many as 10. There's nothing to say we can't have 11, 15, 21. So if you raise the number of Supreme Court judges, you're providing a greater diversity of judicial philosophies and opinions, and you're not forever locked in the 5-4 cage match to the death over whose philosophy is going to win. It used to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, and now it's Amy Coney Barrett's. I don't advocate that either of those two philosophies should control what 330 million Americans have to accept their constitution 
Constitution says. We need a diversity of judicial opinion. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're creating what's called a citizen's brigade of court watchers. And this is my favorite part because I've spent 30 years in courts and I've seen judges misbehave. I've seen judges engage in misconduct in the harsh light of day. The problem is it rarely gets reported outside the courtroom. The Mitch McConnell not qualified judges, I can promise you will be in court misbehaving early and often. So we are creating a nationwide citizens brigade of court watchers. We're training people on what to look for. We're sending them in to the 94 federal jurisdictions so they can watch these judges perform. And when they misbehave, when they engage in misconduct, and they will, there is a one-page form on uscourts.gov to report judicial misconduct. We're also collecting it up in a central database so it can be used for other appropriate lawful purposes. And we are going to get after these not qualified judges that Mitch McConnell has crammed down America's throats. Accountability obviously requires authority to enforce it. And we've seen over the last few years how the White House and under its control, the DOJ, has allowed Republicans to avoid the processes in place for holding people to account, whether that's allowing them to not present evidence in front of committees or slow rolling that process so it delays any investigations that take place. And obviously, even during the whole Russia investigation and special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, we saw how the White House deliberately tried to prevent having to provide evidence, testimony, etc., even all the way up to Donald Trump himself refusing to sit down for an interview and only providing written answers to questions. Is there a way that Congress could or should act to prevent politicians from avoiding accountability in the future? Because this is an issue that's come up particularly over the last few years, but it's not a new issue. This has happened previously where people have avoided accountability. So how can we make sure that that's something that, that is in a way locked in stone? Yeah, so accountability has been a problem because we've had a runaway executive branch, basically a lawless executive branch. So while Bill Barr was protecting Donald Trump and his executive branch officials from being held accountable for the crimes we've seen them committing in plain sight, um, the executive branch also stymied Congress's attempt at accountability by wrongfully announcing and Donald Trump did this on the White House lawn. I am instructing my executive branch officials not to comply with any lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. So what that succeeded in doing is making the legislative branch a second class branch of government. They were not co-equal because they had no ability to pull the executive branch in to conduct the oversight function that they are required and empowered to conduct under our system of government or investigate potential criminal wrongdoing in the executive branch, which Congress can do as long as they have a legislative purpose or they're investigating potential articles of impeachment. So basically Congress neutered itself. And here's why I say that. There is a mechanism in place, hasn't been used since the 1930s. It's called inherent contempt. When Congress issues a subpoena for an executive branch official and that executive branch official says, I'm not showing up, Congress has the lawful ability 
to vote out a contempt charge to send the sergeant at arms of either the House or the Senate, depending on which body issued the subpoena, out to arrest that person, take them into custody, and compel their testimony. For, there, there are three ways to enforce a congressional subpoena. That's one of the three. And that's the only one that doesn't require the intervention and assistance of the Department of Justice or of the courts. For whatever reason, and I have my suspicions about the reason, for whatever reason, Congress decided not to exercise its in inherent power of contempt to force executive branch officials to testify. That was a horrible miscalculation because they tied one hand behind their back. They declined to use the, the lawful means they had available to hold Donald Trump's executive branch to account. And it is in part why we ended up where we ended up. So what they can do, they still have that ability, but there has, there's been some legislation to streamline and make easier the process of using that inherent power of contempt and arresting executive branch officials who fail to comply with lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. So that's one important institutional fix. I think it's Congressman Ted Lieu has introduced legislation to make that a more vibrant, more viable option. And I hope that's one thing they pursue beginning in January. When we look at what Donald Trump and the Republican Party have done and their actions that have incited dangerous behavior and dangerous repercussions, since Election Day, the GOP have been claiming they have numerous legal arguments that show, in their words, the election is rigged. So far, they've presented no evidence. In fact, actually, in court, they've gone in front of judges and essentially discredited their own legal arguments. They've said that there's no basis or factual evidence to back up the president's claims or his tweets. We've seen him been flagged on Twitter over 100 times since Election Day for false or misleading statements about the election. And as we saw from a Republican official in Georgia just yesterday from the time of this recording, there have been dangerous repercussions where people have received death threats. What do you make of these claims that have been being made? And how should we be dealing with them? Because arguably even talking about them gives further airtime. This is what the Republicans want, but we can't just let them be out there spewing baseless claims. So how do we deal with that? Yeah, so first of all, not only is there no evidence of massive voter fraud or systemic problems with the, the way the presidential election unfolded, there is ample evidence that there was no fraud. And as the head of US cybersecurity, who was recently fired for speaking the truth, Chris Krebs said, this was the most secure election in US history. As you mentioned, Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, um, went into court and said, Your Honor, this is not a fraud case. They didn't have any evidence of actual fraud. This is, first of all, why are they doing it? They're doing it because with Donald Trump, it is always about the grift. And as long as he beats his chest and tells his supporters, I am fighting against the election results because there was massive fraud, so please send me checks made payable to Donald J. Trump. This is a grift. This is him continuing to 
in a very real sense, steal from his base, steal from his supporters. It's interesting that there are no PACs supporting him. There are no corporations supporting this. There are no high-dollar donors sending him money. These are the poor people, gullible enough to believe Donald Trump's nonsense, who are writing him checks for 10 and 15 and $20 that they really don't have. That's what Donald Trump is doing, just as Steve Bannon is actually a federal defendant for stealing from Donald Trump's base by setting up a phony, a sham, we're going to build a wall foundation. Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, and these people are, are just so beyond repair in the way they're willing to bilk and steal from their own supporters. But as you say, there is no evidence of fraud, and even the attorney general, Bill Barr of all people, rarely do I point to him as being an authority on anything. Yesterday, he announced that the FBI and the Department of Justice have found no evidence of massive or systemic fraud that would undermine the results. That was virtually Bill Barr announcing Joe Biden won the election. So it won't stop Donald Trump. He will continue to say he's fighting because he's getting those checks in from his supporters. And, you know, once that con has run its course, he'll move on to the next con. Some have claims, though, that this is part of some ploy. They're quickly running through cases in the lower courts, win or lose, however stupid it makes them look, because they hope that somehow they'll get to speak before the Supreme Court, which after Trump filled three seats, he believes will rule in favor of him, even though the Supreme Court, with his new justices on it, actually has previously already ruled against him prior to the election. But is that a possible outcome here where it gets to the Supreme Court for those who aren't familiar with the process? And if so, how does that come about? How is that avoided? What, what's the legal argument here? for that suggestion that they're just running through the lower courts so they can get to a court they think will favorably rule for them. Sure. So with respect to whether it's possible, metaphysically anything is possible. Is it likely that a case will even make its way up to the Supreme Court? Absolutely not, because there has been no significant issue developed in the lower courts that would warrant the Supreme Court accepting review of an election challenge case. So I think 99% of me says it will. there will be no election case that will make its way up to the Supreme Court, but I almost wish one would, because first of all, Donald Trump is nothing if not miscalculation at every turn. He put two of uh, his own draft picks on the bench, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, and in July, when they had an opportunity to rule for Donald Trump on his claim that he has absolute immunity and he is above the law, they both sent him packing his own two draft picks. Now he's got a third draft pick. Amy Coney Barrett, I almost wish an election case would make its way up to the Supreme Court. Because remember, Donald Trump said, I'm putting Amy Coney Barrett on the court because I want her to rule my way, in essence, on an election challenge. First of all, the last thing in the world the Supreme Court would do is corruptly throw a criminal president 
this presidential election, the person who has tried to put himself beyond the reach of the Supreme Court, that would be the Supreme Court cutting off its nose to spite its face. It will not do it. But even more importantly, his two uh, draft picks, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, um, if they had an opportunity to rule on whether Donald Trump won this election, I predict they would both rule against him. And I predict Amy Coney Barrett would recuse herself from the case such that it would end up being an eight to zero unanimous decision against Donald Trump that no, he will not be installed as dictator of the United States. He lost the election. But as I say, I don't think a case is going to make it up because every case in the trial court has been dismissed. And judges, Republican appointed judges, including judges appointed by Donald Trump himself, have dismissed these cases saying things like, Mr. Giuliani, you're trying to transmute lead into gold. Go away and don't come back. Dismissed with prejudice. I spent 30 years in courtrooms appearing before about 200 military and civilian judges. I never heard judges utter words like that. The claims are so frivolous, are so baseless, are brought in such bad faith for PR purposes that the, these cases won't come anywhere near the Supreme Court. One of the debates that's underway right now is whether or not Donald Trump should be investigated for and if found to have broken any laws charged for crimes committed prior to and during his presidency. One suggestion that's emerged is whether the DOJ under Joe Biden should investigate this. Another is potentially a special prosecutor, have one appointed to investigate it so they are separate to Joe Biden's administration. Do you think that should occur or do you agree with others who suggested that taking such a move could set a dangerous precedent for future administrations when the Republicans get back into power? Not holding criminal politicians accountable for their crimes sets a dangerous precedent. We tried that with Richard Nixon. When we turned the other cheek, we let bygones be bygones. We put the long national nightmare behind us by declining to hold a criminal president accountable. That's the opposite of justice. That is the very definition of injustice. As a prosecutor for 30 years, you know what I never once told a victim? or when I was handling murder cases for more than two decades in Washington, D.C., what I never told the family of a victim who had been killed, I never once told them the way to heal, the way to achieve justice is by declining to prosecute your perpetrator, your attacker, the person who took the life of your loved one. That's insanity. That's an abdication of a, of a civilized government's responsibility to hold those who would break our laws accountable. And when the people breaking our laws are the highest government officials, um, if we turn the other cheek and we decline to hold these people accountable, we have taken one enormous leap on the road to the end of our republic. And we have certainly encouraged tomorrow's political criminals 
to double down on what Donald Trump did because Donald Trump wasn't held accountable while he was in office. If he's not held accountable when he gets out of office, we will be sending a powerful message that the moment anybody takes power, you need to crime your butts off because you're going to get away with it all. The question of how we should do that, the, uh, the Attorney General, the Department of Justice can certainly do that, and they can do it independent of the White House, independent of Joe Biden wanting to focus on his agenda, because that's what we do. The Department of Justice investigates crime, while Joe Biden and his administration try to work on fixing climate, try to provide for a living wage, try to ensure affordable health care for everyone, try to work on infrastructure. All of that can and should be done while the department is the Department of Justice is investigating and prosecuting crime. The alternative is an independent counsel. I don't recommend another special counsel. Bob Mueller was my chief of homicide at the DC US Attorney's Office. He taught me how to be a federal homicide prosecutor. I have enormous respect for him. But as special counsel, he was beholden to the Attorney General or the Deputy Attorney General, who it looks like interfered in his investigation. So the special counsel thing doesn't work when it comes to an, really a robust, apolitical um, investigation of executive branch crime. So I think you need to recreate the independent counsel statute, which lapsed some years ago, pull it out from under the Department of Justice, give it a political free reign. We've seen that Donald Trump is reportedly trying to protect himself from any potential investigation that occurs at the federal level by considering pardoning himself and his family, as well as a whole swathe of allies and associates who have engaged in the conduct that clearly he himself believes is, is tantamount to a federal crime, otherwise he wouldn't be thinking about whether or not they require a pardon. Can a president pardon themselves? So there are two answers to that question. Can Donald Trump direct somebody to type up a pardon that says, I, Donald Trump, hereby pardon Donald Trump? Yes, he can and he will. What are the legal implications? Well, first of all, the Department of Justice Office of Professional Responsibility in 1974, during the throes of Watergate, issued a legal opinion that a presidential self-pardon is unlawful unconstitutional. That's only a legal opinion. It's never been challenged in court. So, and of course, the Federalist Papers say no man can be a judge in his own case, although that passage wasn't discussing pardons. It is a generally accepted principle. I mean, if we allowed a president to self-pardon, Donald Trump could merely wipe out the U.S. Treasury, deposit it into an offshore bank account, and then pardon himself for the theft. And he would get away with all of our tax dollars. A presidential self-pardon isn't, it just can't be permitted to stand. So if Donald Trump tries it, and he will, just as he will pardon his family members, and there's a way to attack that as well, um, then we need to go into court and challenge it. The way you challenge it is you charge him with a crime. And there are so many crimes to be charged against Donald Trump, starting with, and I'm not even going to go back to New York, his tax fraud, his insurance fraud that's being investigated by Tish James, the attorney general for the state of New York. But we could start with the Michael Cohen uh, conspiracy that Donald Trump was a member of to pay off playmates and porn stars to hide from the American voters, damaging in 
information that could have resulted in him losing the election. Those crimes are so easy to prove. A first-year prosecutor could go in and prove it in her sleep. Um, the evidence is all there. You know, and then you have the 10 counts of obstruction of justice that Bob Mueller meticulously detailed in volume two of the Trump Russia report. You've got bribing and extorting President Zelensky, an easy case to prove. You've got witness tampering of Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. You've got obstructing congressional inquiries by telling your executive branch officials to wrongfully refuse to appear pursuant to lawfully issued subpoenas. And not to mention, you've got tens of thousands of potential manslaughter charges for the coronavirus deaths he put in motion by lying to the American people beginning in January about the nature and the transmissibility of the disease. So, and as an old homicide prosecutor, I would love to walk into court and bring 100,000 charges of involuntary manslaughter or negligent homicide against Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and, uh, and Jared Kushner, and others for what they absolutely did to the American people. So he, we can't allow a self-pardon to stand. Once he pardons himself, he needs to be charged. We need to walk into court and litigate the legality of a self-pardon. And every judge, even the not qualified Mitch McConnell judges, will rule a president may not pardon himself. Given how the pardon process has been used over the years for pardoning associates in questionable manners, and this isn't just a Republican thing. I mean, Donald Trump pardoned Joe Arpaio. Bill Clinton pardoned his half-brother. As you mentioned, Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. Should presidents have the ability to pardon individuals? Should it surely not reside with legal figures who are responsible for criminal matters rather than political figures? Because... Is this not a case where someone can go through the justice system at the federal level, they're charged, evidence is presented, and just because a president on a whim decides that they, they have an issue with that, they can overrule the judicial system. So it, it's sort of circumventing the legal due process in America. So while I recognize it's difficult because it's enshrined in the Constitution, should that be something that people look at removing from the president? Yes, if we had the ability to actually rewrite or amend the Constitution, uh, I would certainly advocate for modifying Section 2, Clause 2. But as you note, the problem is when the Constitution says the president shall have the, part, the power to grant reprieves and pardons, there's not much that can be done about it. But you can test it in court for an abuse. Every clause in the Constitution, every power entrusted uh, in Congress or in the, the president or in the courts, they can be challenged for criminal abuse. So when you say, you know what, a, par a president shouldn't get to pardon his brother because it just kind of smells bad. And I agree, it's nepotism, it's favoritism, it's cronyism. But if I'm president and my brother committed a crime, there really is no way to challenge my granting my brother a pardon unless... I'm culpably involved in the crime my brother committed. That's where it becomes legally challengeable because you have now corrupted the pardon power because in essence, you're trying to help yourself get away with a crime that you may have committed in concert or in con a conspiracy with another. Those are the kind of corrupt pardons that we should challenge in court. The nepotism, the family pardons, I don't think there's a way to um, 
to challenge those or to protect against it absent amending the Constitution. And boy, if we started amending the Constitution and I'm all for it, there's lots of stuff that we could fix. Finally, where can people find out more about your work and your show Justice Matters? So they can find me on uh, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's just Glenn Kirshner 2. And it's, um, I post a, a video a day every day for the last 200 and some odd days about the, the sort of crime by Trump du jour or the abuse of the rule of law by Bill Barr of the day. Every single day, I try to tackle what's happening. I try to identify the issue, put it in some larger context and talk about proposed solutions or approaches based on my 30 years as a federal prosecutor. People can also find me on patreon.com. They can go and sign up to become a patron, become a member of Team Justice. And we are strong and we are fierce and we're working on things like the Citizens Brigade of Court Watchers because gone are the days when we can just vote for politicians, send them to Washington and hope everything's gonna turn out okay. Everything's not gonna turn out okay. And that's why citizens involvement in the process of government every day, like sitting in court and catching Mitch McConnell's not qualified judges misbehaving and then doing something about it is what is required moving forward. People can also find me on Twitter uh, at, at Glenn Kirshner 2 where I answer, answer legal questions all day and night. And they can always tune in on MSNBC. I'm on tonight with Joy Reid at 7 p.m. Eastern time talking about the pardon palooza and the legal issues of the day. So uh, I'm kind of a little bit everywhere. Glenn Kirshner, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Edward. Appreciate it. That was Glenn Kirshner, a former federal prosecutor who served in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia for 24 years, a legal analyst for NBC and MSNBC, and the host of Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner. You can find out more about him on Twitter at Glenn Kirshner 2 and Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner at youtube.com forward slash Glenn Kirshner 2. That's all for today's episode. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe or recommend this podcast by submitting a review online and sharing it with friends and family. Thank you to this month's supporters on Patreon, Carolyn, Colin, Janet, Jesse, Merrily, and Nikki, who helped make this show even better. Until next time, goodbye.